Um, so grab your Bibles, and if you don't have one, we've got some provided in the seats there. And turn with me to Luke chapter 8, and that'll be on page 865. In the Bibles we provide, page 865, Luke chapter 8. Now as you're turning there, hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for me includes three F's. Obviously, you've got to have the food, right? Everyone loves food. The turkey, my role, this responsibility, this Thanksgiving was to prepare the turkey. Um, and, and I think I, I did all right with that. Um, but great food. Um, the second F is football. I don't know about you guys, but Thanksgiving is football. And so uh, it, multiple ways. And so one of the things I'm learning here about, about Greater Boston is that if if you play football in high school, on Thanksgiving, you're playing football. Like, Thanksgiving is local rivalry. So, like, the Medford-Malden rivalry is on Thanksgiving Day. And I think that's the case in a lot of different cities. You go and you eat and then you, you play football. You, you beat your rival. Um, I think Medford lost uh, this year. But uh, um, always be, yeah. So, uh, hopefully they'll, uh, you know, in the years to come, be a little bit better. I actually played football. Though I didn't play for Medford. Um, if you saw me gingerly walking up the stairs, uh, I gathered with some friends and we played some flag football. Um, first time I played in probably a year, so I'm, I'm still a little sore. Actually, Josh's dad, Joe Miller, was on my team, and you should have seen him. Um, he was, he was a, our beast out there. Uh, but uh, we had a great time playing some football, and then obviously watching football, right? I mean, you watch the Patriots destroy the Jets. So you've got food, you've got football. And then you've got Black Friday. Now, nowadays, you actually don't even have to wait till Black Friday to start Black Friday. I mean, it, it starts on Thanksgiving, unless you live in Massachusetts, right? I mean, you've got the state law. So, so one of the things that Lee and I decided to do this year, since at least parents were in town, and, you know, having free babysitters, they were like, hey, you know, at least parents are here. Why don't we just go ramble around um, on, on Thanksgiving evening? So what you don't know about me is growing up, um, we would, you know, on, on Friday morning, my family growing up, we were always up at the crack of dawn. And my mom was like, she was the one that wanted to get the best deals at, you know, we were at Macy's or wherever. She wanted to be the first one there to get the deals. And, and I, you know, growing up, I enjoyed that. My dad, I grew up, my dad was a pastor um, he loved people and he loved to just watch people. I, I don't know, like some of you guys just like to go and uh, he just loved just being around people. And so I, I kind of tugged around. My dad would find a bench somewhere and they would sit and just, just watch all the different kind of people there. And mom would go shop and bring us and we'd hold the bags when she'd go and buy some more. So, you know, I, I kind of grew up with that tradition. So Lee and I headed out Thursday night. And here's the deal, you know, shops don't open in Massachusetts till Friday. So we're like, hey, we'll drive to New Hampshire because live free or die there, you know, there, there are no laws against working on Thanksgiving. So we're like, hey, we can actually start shopping a little earlier and not have to wait till midnight if we'll go up to New Hampshire. So we head up that way and we had decided that we wanted to go to Walmart. Now, you guys know there's not really a Walmart. I mean, I think you got to go to North Reading, right, John, up there to get a Walmart. There's not one close to Medford here. I haven't really been to Walmart in probably over a year. Um, so, I mean, Walmart in the South is a big deal. You could just, on a Friday night, just go hang out at Walmart if you wanted to. So, uh, 
You know, we decided to go to Walmart because they have this catalog. You guys probably, you know, you got the paper on Thanksgiving. Or, you, or if you don't get the paper, you went out and bought one because it has all the great deals, right? And, and so they've got in their catalog all of these great deals that we might even call good news. Promoting all of these great things for the right money and the right time. Now here's the deal. Walmart this year had three events. Event one starts at 8 p.m. Event two starts at 10 p.m. And then I don't even know when event three started. Sometime later that day. So if you're going to get the deal, you got to follow the rules. And you better make sure you know when the deal is going on sale. So Lee and I head up there. We headed out around 8 o'clock or so. And we're like, hey, we're a little early, so we'll drive by Target. Maybe we'll stop in Target. And the line at Target's like wrapped all the way. So no, we're not going to Target. We'll come back later, not getting into that. And so our thinking was, hey, Walmart opened at 8. You know, we wanted to get this X item for X amount of money, but it didn't go on sale till 10. So we're like, hey, maybe Walmart will be cleared out. It wasn't. Um, so, so we get to Walmart, and I park across the street because this deal was so worth it that we would even walk to get to Walmart so we don't have to deal with all the traffic. And when you get inside, you learn that you not only have to be there at the right time with the right amount of money, you got to figure out how to get the deal. I mean, Walmart, you got security people there. They're saying you can't go in certain parts of the store and directing you around, and it is mad chaos. And so you get in there, and, and you're asking every, okay, where's the deal at? And, and, you're, and they say, you've got to look for the balloon with the words for your deal on it, and you go find the balloon. You, they had no clue. They said, it's somewhere in there. You go find it. And so you're, you're following directions. And then you get to the balloon and you get your ticket. And they say, okay, this is your ticket. You've got to stand in this line. If you leave the line, you forfeit your right to this deal. If you want to get the deal, you must hear rightly, you must follow directions, and you must obey. You're probably wondering, where are we headed? Well, when we come to Luke chapter 8... Jesus is going to tell some parables highlighting the necessity of hearing and obeying. And get this, the consequences of not hearing and obeying are much better than that of missing a Black Friday deal. You see, eternal life is at stake. So how much more, if I'm going to follow the directions to get this good news, this great deal that Walmart's holding out, how much more should we listen and obey and follow the news to eternal life? So look at me here in Romans 8, beginning in verse 1. Sorry, I said Romans 8, I meant Luke 8. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom. That sets the stage. This is what Jesus is doing. He's going through the cities. He's preaching the good news. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And then we come to verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to them, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow a seed. 
And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I'm just going to pause here for a second because what he's saying here is important. If Jesus pauses to say this, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I want you to get this. What he is saying is that some of you, these words are going to fall on ears up here, but you really are not going to hear. And so he's begging, he's pleading them, if you have ears to hear, don't just listen with the ears intellectually, listen with the ears of your heart. We're going to see this again. Let's keep reading. Verse 9. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parable, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, and he's going to explain to them. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soul, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Do you hear the emphasis on hearing? Let's continue on, verse 16. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. You guys see where we're headed today? These parables and these sayings of Jesus are all connected by this continual theme that's running throughout. And the question is this, implicitly, every single one of you are being challenged today with this question. How well is your hearing? How are you hearing the word? Through the parable of the soils, every single one of them heard. After that, he says, take heed how you hear. He's my brother, my mom. They're the ones who hear. And at the very beginning, Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He is pleading and begging with you today that these words would not just 
intellectually go through the head, but that your hearts would be stirred, the, the ears of your hearts would be open and receptive and responsive to the word. So I'm going to pause right here. I'm going to pray because, because we need the spirit of God to come and help us to hear rightly. Otherwise, we are going to be people that just continually hear the word and never respond. So let me just, before we pray, let me just challenge you with this. Don't be cavalier in hearing the word week after week. Some of you may have even been coming here for a year and a half. And Jesus' focus, his point to today is, if you hear it, then you will be good to do it. And we want to make sure that our hearing is lining up with our doing. So I'm going to pray, and then that's where we're going to head today. Heavenly Father, we have a great challenge in front of us today. As we hear you speaking and challenging us, not just to hear with the ears on our head, but to hear with our hearts. And God, we pray that many times we ask that I mean, we are not capable of, of a lot that's going on in our life. And we need you and your spirit to open blind eyes, to open deaf ears. And God, I, I pray that all of us today would pray, God, help me to truly hear well and to respond well to your word. So God, we ask your spirit and you to do a work in us so that your word doesn't fall on deaf ears today. We pray and beg in Christ's name. Amen. So here's the point today. The point is this. True disciples persevere in hearing and obeying the word of God. That's it. That's what we need to get today. We persevere in hearing and obey the word of God. And as we walk through the text, I'm going to challenge you with three truths that I believe are drawn out from the text. And, and the first one is this. True hearing results in transformed living. True hearing results in transformed living. When we go back to chapter 8, verse 4, it says, When the crowd had gathered, he said to them in a parable, let me just pose a question. Why is Jesus speaking in parables? If we were to go to the other gospel accounts, we could go to Matthew, we could go to Mark. He actually quotes Isaiah. I want you to look here. I've got this for you. And, and they're quoting Isaiah to say, this is the reason he's speaking in parables. And it says this. And he said, this is Isaiah. God said to Isaiah, go and say to this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Does this sound harsh to you? God is telling Isaiah to the people of Israel, you go and speak, but speak in such a way that they are not going to see and they're not going to hear and they're not going to understand. Well, here's the context. Had God been speaking to Israel? Yes. Over years and years and years, he had been calling them to obedience to his commands. And what did their life represent? They were people who were hard-hearted, who, who were dull, and who were not obedient to the word of God. And so when, when we come to Jesus and jumping forward and him quoting Isaiah and the other gospels, we see this. The reason Jesus was teaching in parables had two purposes. It was to separate the sincere from the casual here. 
That was the main purpose. The sincere from the casual reader. And here's this. We see for the sincere person, parables reveal and enlighten. If if you're here today and you're a sincere seeker and learner, they reveal truths of the kingdom of God that lead to eternal life. But we also see that one of the purposes of parables is to conceal, to harden, and even reject. We see that here in in Luke 8. Jump on down with me in Luke 8, verse 9. In Luke 8, verse 9, it says, And when the disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. You see, to the genuine, to the sincere, parables reveal truth and they are a mine of information. But to the casual hearer, they conceal the truth and even cast judgment. Do you hear that? The parables can even cast judgment. And and this explains, I mean, Jesus, what is he doing? What's the context? He's going about, he's proclaiming the kingdom. How do we explain that so many people fail to believe the good news? That's why we're given the parable of the souls here. And you'll probably, in your Bible, probably says the parable of the sower. But you'll notice here, the, the sower is only mentioned once. The parable is not about the sower who's sowing the seed. The parable is about the soils. And the implicit question to us all is, what kind of soil is our heart? And so we're given this parable to explain why the word of the kingdom, the gospel, is not being received and believed by all. Well, the reality is, as we're going to see as we walk through, is that not everyone is coming with sincere desires to hear. And so... Even when Jesus' preaching doesn't save, here's what we can gather. It's not that it's necessarily ineffective. It may be doing God's terrible work of judgment. Now, we don't conceive of preaching this way. My goal to preach today is not to judge or condemn anyone. But what the Word of God does is Jesus is the great equalizer and the divider. It puts everybody on the same playing field, but it also does this. Wherever you line up with Jesus either leads to eternal life or his message condemns and judges. It's not me. It's his message. He is the one who says that life is found in him. And so Jesus speaks in parables to us who are seeking and it gives life and it's a mind of information to others that is condemnation and judgment. I pray today that you would be one who have ears to hear and that this would not be a message of judgment or condemnation, but a, would be a message that leads to life. And you would find it in a mind and mind of information that would provide great joy and delight. So let's move on to the four, four souls. And we see here the purpose of the parable of the souls is to reveal these souls. And, and as we go through these, you need to be asking this question, what kind of soul are you? Because to not ask that question is just to hear and not hear. To truly hear today is to ask and and to look at yourself in the mirror and say, okay, which one of these am I? Okay? So so that, that ought to be the question that's being asked. So we see the first soil going back, and we're going to compare because he gives the parable and then he explains it. And so some of the soil fell along the path and it was trampled underfoot and it was devoured by birds. And you can see here, if, if a seed is going to grow, you guys know anything, uh, you know, I, I don't have a green thumb. I'm, I'm not great at this. My wife's not great at this. Some of you can probably help us out. But 
you need good soil, and to have good soil, you've got to have you've got to have moisture. And so, if this seed is falling on a hard path, it's going to just lie on the top. It's not going to get in the soil. It's not going to get rooted, and it's not going to plant. So it's on the path. And so, if it's just laying on the path, the birds can fly down and they can devour it. Or when the scorching heat of the summer comes and it has no soil, it will die. And so in the explanation on down in verse 12, he explains it and he says this, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Now it's important here. Every single one of these souls hear the word. They all hear it, but they all have different responses. This one heard it in verse 12, and it says they've heard the word. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. What do we gain from this? The reality is, is, this is there's a spiritual warfare going on. And I know a lot of times we go through life and don't even think about a spiritual realm, but we know this. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 says this. In their case, the God of this world, the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. One of the main purposes of Satan, of the devil, is to blind your eyes. So that seeing you do not see and hearing you do not hear. And this is what the parable of the soul, the first one is describing here. Now, whose fault is it that they don't believe? Now we see here, we're seeing the work of Satan involved here. But as we see throughout here, the, the responsibility is put back on the person who doesn't believe. So you can't say at the end of your life, hey, the reason I didn't believe is because the devil blinded my eyes. The reason you are accountable. And so, so the reality is, is, here's where you need to hear there, is that if you don't hear and believe, and after continual hearing and believing, you are, you are liable to Satan coming and even blinding your eyes so that you do not see. And so the challenge for you, if you're finding yourself, hey, this is the soul, would be this, to believe. And if I don't believe, well then, I'm, I'm, I, I'm in danger of Satan even blinding and closing my ears to seeing the beauty of the gospel. That's what we see here. The second thing that we see here is that faith is the means for salvation. Look here in verse 12. At the end of that, he says, So that they may not believe and be saved. How is someone saved? It is through faith. And so those of you here today, you're like, man, this whole Jesus thing, and what does it mean to respond to the gospel? When Jesus preaches the gospel, how do you respond? What do you respond? What is necessary is repentance and faith. And I, I, I put those two to the, together because repentance is acknowledging that I'm a sinner, that I'm not perfect, and that's the message of the kingdom. The good news of the gospel is that we don't have it together. We are all sinners. The rich, the poor, the young, the old, the great equalizer. We are all sinners before God. That is to, to come to receive the gospel and to believe. You've got to acknowledge, hey, man, I'm not a believer. I'm a sinner. Um, I don't get it. I'm not perfect. I need a savior. And so, so faith is the means for salvation. First of all, some people hear the message, but they don't let that truth penetrate their heart and Satan comes and he blinds their eyes. He takes it away before they really understand. So if that's you today, believe. The solution 
The impetus is believe the word before Satan comes and blinds your eyes. The second soul that we see here, it's the rocky soul. Going back to verse 6, some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Similar analogy here. This time, the soul that it falls on, it's not the hard path. It's, it's a little bit better, right? It's at least got some soul there, but it's, it's mixed with rocks so that there's not enough moisture in the soul for it to roots, the roots to go deep and for it to get established and to withstand the scorching heat. And so as we see the imp- in interpretation in verse 13. He says this, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while in time of testing fall away. Do you guys see this? That it's even possible to initially respond to the gospel with joy and belief and yet fall away. Now, let me just clarify. I don't believe he's talking about people who are losing their salvation. What I believe he's affirming here is that this belief is not saving faith. Because what we're going to see as evidence of saving faith is an enduring and a persevering faith. Is one that endures to the end. And so, I'll just say this. Intellectual faith doesn't save you. If you're here today and say, yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's God. I believe he died on the cross. That intellectual faith is good, but it is not enough to save you. Let me share with you an illustration. I want you guys to take a journey with me real quick. Let's go to Niagara Falls. We're not too far from here, we just go a little farther west, right? I mean, we're at the same latitude, we'll just go west. Niagara Falls. And here's the picture. This is a tightrope across the top of Niagara Falls. We're going to go on a small-scale version here. The tightrope stretches all the way across here, and the, this is the falls. It's going over the edge here. Now, here's the picture. I'm at Niagara Falls. You take a vacation there over Christmas. You're bundled up. It's probably snowing, and you're at you know, Lake Effect Snows, and you're at Niagara Falls, and I'm there, and I've got a wheelbarrow, and I've got a tightrope, and here's what you see me do. You see me take this wheelbarrow and walk all the way across this tightrope at Niagara Falls all the way to the other side. And I, I turn around and I do it again. I take this wheelbarrow and I safely... What happens if I fall in the middle? That's it. You don't survive a fall off a of Niagara Falls. I'm dead. Life and death is at stake here. I push this wheelbarrow and I make it all the way back across. And you're standing there. You know, oh, that was awesome. You know, high fives, you know, the video cameras are there. And I turn around and I pose a question to you. And here's what I ask. How many of you believe that I can push this wheelbarrow back across Niagara Falls one more time? What do you say? Who's got faith in me? You know, you've just seen me do it twice, right? Man, I just nailed it. I'm going to do it one more time. Like, man, here's your rationale. This guy just did it twice. I mean, the chances are, man, he can do it again. So you're like, yeah, man, I think you can do it again. Man, I believe you can do it again. And then I turn around and I pose a second question. If you believe I can do it, come sit in the wheelbarrow. 
Do you get the point? You see, it is possible to intellectually affirm, yeah, Jesus, God, the Bible, Christianity, yeah, that's it. That, that is not saving faith. That is a picture here of somebody who initially had joy and faith, but yet when the testing comes, and the testing is this, you come sit in the wheelbarrow. What does it reveal? What does it reveal about the faith? You see, saving faith is a faith that placed complete trust in Jesus. So when you see this word faith, this isn't just an intellectual deal. This is a picture that you are putting your trust. If I sit in the wheelbarrow, if I'm there and it's somebody else, what I'm saying to this guy is, is that my life is in your hands. If you fall, I'm dead. That is complete trust and faith in Jesus. So let me ask you, is this the soul of your heart? Are you one that's kind of just standing, saying intellectually, yeah, that's right? Or have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus. What does it look like? The difference here. How, how do you know if you've placed complete faith and trust in Jesus? And the picture is this. Is your faith a persevering faith? Let me show you this. James chapter 2. In James chapter 2, it says this. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works is dead. All right, let me just pause there. Does faith or work save you? Faith is the means to salvation. But what James is going to say, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So do you do faith and works to, to get saved? No, what he's saying here is that a genuine saving faith will produce a lifestyle of works. And so he's going to continue on. You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And basically what he's saying, you want to see my faith? I'll show you by my works. I'll get in the wheelbarrow. That's what he's saying. You evidence, you truly believe, you sit in the wheelbarrow. Does sitting in the wheelbarrow save you? No, it's the faith in this great Savior that saves you. Sitting in the wheelbarrow evidences that it's genuine faith. But he continues on. He says this, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that. And are the, are the demons saved? No. Guys, don't let this fall on deaf ears. Hear this. You can intellectually agree with the demons. They know Jesus is Lord. They know Jesus is God. And yet they will be separated from him for all of eternity. It is possible to week after week be under the preaching and teaching of the word intellectually to assent to the gospel and be destined for hell forever if you do not place your faith in Jesus. So I plead with you today to place your faith and your trust in Jesus. Later on in, the, in Matthew, they say, Jesus Tell us what will be the signs of the end. And he says this. He says, see that no one leads you astray. He continues on in the letter. He says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation. And then he concludes with this. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And so coming back to Luke chapter 8, what was the problem here with the second rocky soil? 
It says in, in verse 13, and the ones on the rock are those when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while and in the time of testing, they fall away. I just want to be honest and clear with you. To come to faith in Jesus doesn't mean that your life is going to be all hunky-dory and there's going to be no challenges. Jesus actually even promises there's going to be tribulation. There is suffering. Look, when I place my faith in Jesus, I, I still get sick. Bad things still happen. But the promise that I have in the gospel is that God will make this right. He's coming back for me. He's gonna, when he returns, I'm going to get a, a new body and, and eternal life and the new heavens and the new earth. There will be no more death, no more sickness, no more pain. Do you long for that restoration? It's the promise of the gospel. And so my faith can endure tribulation and even death. That passage there even talks about they will deliver you up to tribulation even to death. But yet I can hold firm with the gospel and my hope is firm because of the promises there. That is a saving, enduring faith. The third soul, the thorns. What's the problem with the thorns here? We see the thorns grow vigorously and they they, uh, they choke out the plant. So for a plant to grow, it's got to have moisture, but it's also got to have sunlight. So you'll, you'll see the reason we trim back some of the bushes sometimes in the trees around is it's got to have enough sunlight to grow. And so you've got these thorns that grow and it doesn't have enough room to get sunlight and to grow. So what is the picture here, the thorns? says this in verse 14, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. What's the problem with these? They are choked by the cares, the riches of life. It's interesting here. If we were to go read Matthew's account... Matthew says they are choked by the deceitfulness of riches. Now, he just mentions riches here. Here's where we need to take a word of caution. With this word deceitfulness, it's even possible that you could be deceived by these things and not even know it. That these, the cares of the world, the pleasures of life, the deceitfulness of, of riches, that, that they could... You could think that you're doing fine. In reality, they've deceived you, and that is where you are finding joy and satisfaction and, and hope in life. And so maybe the question is, how do you know if this is your soul or not? Well, I'll just pose this question. Um, what happens when, if, if you were to lose all of your, your riches? What would that reveal about you? What happens if I were to take away all the pleasures of life? Sex any type of substance, abuse, alcohol, drugs. Take away the, the patriots, sports, any type of pleasure. That's going to reveal where your treasure is. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. Um, Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6. He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Money will lead you to do things 
that is not God-honoring. The temptation, the deceitfulness, what is the lure? It hangs this out there as if you have X amount of money, then it will solve all of your problems. And the point of the gospel is this. It's not. You can never have enough. And what happens if you lose it? You see, the treasure of the gospel is so great and it's so rich because even death can't take away the hope and promises of the gospel. You know, we all want pleasure. I believe this. I believe we are motivated in life because we want to be satisfied. Here's what we want. We want complete satisfaction and we want it forever. And so I want to plead with you that maybe some of you today are like, man, I've tried everything and the reason I'm here today is because I am not satisfied in life and I am looking for something that'll satisfy me. I want you to look at this, Psalm 16. One of my favorite verses says, God says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Get this, fullness of joy, complete satisfaction and forever. Pleasures forevermore. This is what you crave. This is what you want. And this is the promise of the gospel that through Christ, you will be completely satisfied for all of eternity. You're longing for satisfaction. This is you today. Hear, believe, respond to the gospel. And then we come to the fourth soul. This is the good soul and it yield a hundredfold. Verse 15. As for that in the good soul, they are those who hear, who hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. There is only one soil out of four that has an appropriate response. This is kind of, I mean, just think about this. As I proclaim the gospel, Jesus is saying there are probably four different kinds of souls there and only 25% of them respond appropriately. So this is the soul that we should be pursuing. What should we be striving for? He says, they hear the word of God, they hold fast, they grab hold of it with an honest of good heart, and they bear fruit with patience. Do you hear the persevering language here? Bear fruit with patience. And I'll just be honest with you, man. You come to faith in Jesus, everything doesn't change overnight. Man, here's what changes. You no longer pay the penalty for your sin. You are justified. You are declared righteous. That is what happens in the gospel. But sanctification, the process of becoming like Jesus, requires patience. We bear fruit with patience. I continue to hear the word. I respond to the word. I meditate on the word. And as a series, and through the rest of my life, you realize when I'm 60, 70, 80 years old, I'm going to continually be in a process of the word of God shaping and forming, but I am bearing fruit with patience. I believe it and I endure and my hope is strong. This is what God desires. And so you're asking today, man, I'm looking at these four souls and, and I'm struggling. Man, where does faith come from? I realize that I'm supposed to believe and have this persevering faith. Let me encourage you. We read this earlier, but I want to go back to Romans 10. In Romans 10, it says this. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Hey, that's a promise for every one of you today. Everyone. You call upon Jesus and believing and getting in the you believe with saving faith, you will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? And here's the reality. You've got to hear 
in order to believe, and you've got to believe in order to be saved. Do you see the progression there? How will they hear, though, without someone preaching, and how will they preach unless they are sent? So here's the, here's the paradigm. You send them, they preach, they hear, they believe, they're saved. He continues on. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but have they not all obeyed the gospel? For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Listen to this. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You hear today like, man, I need faith. The challenge is hear the word of God and believe. Where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing. So if you're still wrestling, and we want this to be a place where you can come and ask questions and grow and, and, and wrestle with the gospel and, and how, where is faith going to come from? You need to continue to be under the word. Continue to listen to the word. But I think the challenge is also is that we can't just continue to be under the word forever and ever and not hear and truly hear and respond in faith. And so at some point after hearing the word, you need to respond in repentance and faith. But where does it come from? It comes from hearing. So you need to continue to be under the word for believers. How do we bear fruit with patience? We continue to stay under the word till the end of my life, on my, on my deathbed. I want somebody reading the word to me so that I can believe the promises of the word. All right, I need to move on quickly. Last kind of application here, evangelism. Man, how does this encourage me as I share the gospel? This is a reminder that, man, my responsibility is scattering the seed. It is the Word. It is God using the Word of God, the Spirit of God, who changes people's hearts. I proclaim the gospel. I mean, this should just relieve a ton of stress. You don't save people. You just share the Word. You just share the message. This relieves a ton of... Our responsibility is just... The gospel is just... We, pro, we proclaim it. Just like Walmart and their catalog, they're proclaiming their good news. I'm just proclaiming the good news of the gospel so much better. <laughs> Believe it. Respond to it. That is our role there. Let's continue on. Um, let's go to the second truth here. So we see that true hearing results in transformed living. True hearing should not be taken for granted. And in verses 16, we get this imagery here. You don't light a light, a lamp, and you cover it under a jar or under a bed, um, but it's so that those who enter may see the light. And then he continues on in 17, nothing's hidden that will not be made manifest. There's anything secret that will not come to light. The point here is that the word of the kingdom is, is like light. And what it does is it, it, it can reveal the path to eternal life or it can also condemn and it can judge. Let me share an example with you here. It brings everything into light. I, I can go into my room at home. And what can I use a light for? I, I can go in my room at midnight and there's no light on the house and I can turn the light on and it can be a pathway for me to get in my bed without stumbling over the chair and breaking my foot or something, all right? It's a pathway. But also, it can be used for bringing to light evil and wicked deeds. So I can ask my kids, hey kids, did you clean your room? And I can go up to their room and it'd be completely dark and you know what's going to happen when I turn the light on? What is light going to reveal? It's going to reveal reality. And so the word of the kingdom is this, is, is you can hear the word today in the message of the gospel and what Jesus has done on the cross, and you can grab a hold of it and bear fruit and repentance, and it can lead to eternal life. Or you can hear this word, and it's like a light that comes on in your life, and it shows all the junk in your life, and it could evenly condemn you. 
If you reject it, it's showing you that you're sinfulness and you refuse the light and it's just showing you that you're judged. And so what does he say here? The point here in verse um, 18 is take care then how you hear for to, to the one who has more will be given and from the one who has not even what he thinks he has will be taken away. The truth is this, those that respond, God responds to how we respond to the word. So if I respond to the word with a good heart and bear fruit with patience, you know what God does? He gives more understanding. So I respond in repentance and faith and God more and more opens my eyes to see the beauty of the gospel. But if I respond by rejecting it, you know what he says? Even what you think you've had has been taken away. And so the the parable here, as we've talked earlier, parables can either reveal and enlighten or it can condemn, conceal, and it can harden. This, you ought to take this seriously today. Because you don't want to be the one who hears and doesn't believe. And then you are just continually hardened by the word. We should respond in repentance and faith. So true hearing should not be taken for granted. The point here is that we should respond with appreciation to the word. Appreciation and delight and gratitude to the word. Last truth. True hearing results in transformed living. True hearing shouldn't be taken for granted. Then true hearing identifies you with the family of God. Jesus' mother and brothers are outside. Hey, Jesus, your your mother and brother are outside. They want to see you. Now, just a little side note here. Um, Who is his mother and brothers here? This is Mary. And these are the children of Mary and Joseph. This is the natural reading. I know that um, Catholicism holds to the perpetual virginity of Mary, but that is foreign to the New Testament. The natural reading here is, who are these brothers? These were Jesus' brothers, Mary and Joseph and their kids. Um, And so we see here, as we continue on, Jesus makes a radical statement in verse 21. He said, my mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it, which poses a question, is Jesus disowning his family? No, he's not. I'll say this. This is not so much about a confrontation with his family. Does he say anything to his family? They're outside. He's not confronting his family and saying, you're not my family. He's speaking to the people in the house and he's teaching them about what a true disciple is. And he's using this as an illustration. So I'm just, when Jesus is on the cross, Later in life, do you know what he does before he dies? He tells the disciple John, he says, this is my mother Mary, she's now your mother, take care of her. And you're his son. And so it says from that point on, John took care of Mary. Jesus was concerned with his mom to make sure that she was taken care of. And and you are responsible to take care and provide for your own earthly family. But within that framework, what's going on here? Jesus is highlighting that those who are a part of the family of God have a different authority in their life. And and he's also saying this, if you claim to be a child of God, here's what you need to hear today. You can't claim to be a child of God and not do the word of God. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, we're all created in the image of God, but not everybody is a child of God. So let me just pose a question. How How does someone become a part of the family of God? This is what John 1 says. 
John 1 says this, But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God who are born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Had he become a part of the family of God? Those who believed in his name, what we just talked about previously. And so I want to make sure we clarify here. The way to get into the family is not to go and obey. You don't go and obey and think that, okay, now God's going to let me in his family. What you do is you believe in Jesus, you place your saving faith and trust in him, and God accepts you because of Christ. And what is evidence that you're a part of the family? You do the will of God. So that's why Jesus says, those who come, you come and you follow me. Take up your cross, follow me. We're going to see the cost of discipleship on through Luke. You take up your cross, you follow Jesus. What is evidence of somebody who's a part of the family of God? You do the word of God. And so this ought to be a, a heart, a, a clear word to all of us to evaluate and look in the mirror and say, hey, if I claim to be a part of the family of God and I'm not obeying the word of God, maybe I'm not part of the family of God. And, and kind of for the rest of you, just pose a question. And this is probably appealing. Do you have a family? Maybe even some of you don't even have a great relationship with your family. But here's the good news of the gospel. When you believe, you become a part of a family that Jesus almost even highlights as more important than his earthly family. Because you know what? My earthly family, when I die, that's it. But my heavenly family, I'll be with for all of eternity. Now, Lord willing, my earthly family will also spend and be a part of my heavenly family for all of eternity. But the reality is, is that if they do not re- come to Jesus and a part of the family of God and receive him, then, then where should my greater interest lie? It would be with my family. And so, and pray for your family, love your family. We could see through the scriptures, you honor your family, but when you become a part of the family of God, he, God becomes your ultimate authority in life. He becomes your father. And so we're going to see later on that Jesus is even going to talk about um, our authority in response to God is that he has complete authority over our life. So as we wrap up here, how is your hearing? What is your soul? I'm I'm going to lead us in prayer and we're actually going to observe the Lord's Supper today. And this is going to be a great opportunity to respond to the word. And so I want to encourage you that don't let this word fall on deaf ears, that you need to respond in repentance and faith. Maybe for some of you believers, you, you've been tempted by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life and, and that this is a time of confession and repentance and, and returning to the Lord. And, and, and so don't let this word fall on deaf ears. Respond appropriately with a good heart and bear fruit with patience. Heavenly Father, And we thank you for your word. And we pray now as we respond that you would grant faith and trust and and that you would continue to show us that greater pleasure is found in you, that a true family is found in being a part of the family of God, being a child of God. And God, that we would really be evaluating, man, are we true followers of Christ? Do we obey? Do we do what you say? And that you would grant us by your spirit continue strength to live the way you would have us live. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.